everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline, as well as my refrigerator in the background, maybe. Unsure. <laughs> Katie just asked me if it was running and if I caught it because she's a classic comedian. Comedian. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Comedian. Sorry. This episode is called What Happened in Vegas? Did not stay in Vegas because Dateline told everybody. What doesn't happen in Vegas is the question now. Everything seems to happen there. Just whatever. This is season 30, episode 12. Finally, a new episode. Feels like a while. January 14th, 2022. Hosted by the glorious Keith Morrison, even though I I really miss Josh Mankiewicz. (laughs) But I love Keith Morrison. I'm so excited to have another Keith. Let me cover all our bases. I miss Dennis and Andrea as well. I do too. Okay. But Keith is always good, but we did just have a Keith. We've had quite a few Keiths this season. In a row. Just, yeah. I think we're on episode 12. I feel like we've had 10 Keiths out of 12 episodes. Hold up. He's not leaving, right? Because we had a bunch of Natalie Moraleses in a row and now she's gone. No, that would, don't even say such a thing. Okay. I just feel like I have to say it so that it won't happen. No, I feel like I need some salt to throw over my shoulder or whatever people do for luck. Okay, sorry. I'm knocking on what this isn't wood. It's some sort of plastic. I don't have anything. So we open with Keith driving in a convertible down PCH, his hair, glorious hair, blowing in the wind. This is the second time we've seen him in a convertible because we saw him in a convertible Jeep in Hawaii chasing after Lori Vallow. Is an open air Jeep the same as a convertible? I think it counts. Okay. So he's talking to the camera. He keeps turning over, like turning his head and talking to the camera in the passenger seat. And I was like, Keith, eyes on the road. You are precious cargo, please. And then he says one day he's driving and a black sports car drives past him and slows down. And he sees a blonde woman in the car waving him over. And I was like, no, do not go with the lady in the black car. You would have to say, Kimberly, don't go in the white van and the guy with the puppies. Keith, this lady is clearly a stalker. I don't think he realizes the effect he has on women and that there are dangers everywhere. But he does pull over. And this woman is a woman that he met 20 years ago during an old dateline, which I have never seen which is very rare, but it is 20 years old. Then we rewind and we do a very special effect that I don't know how to describe. I'm going to describe it like a Looney Tunes credit where the screen goes black except for the middle circle that gets smaller. That's all, folks. Right. Uh, Yeah. I'm sure there's a technical term for it. Don't know what it is. Telescoping. Telescoping. We zoom in and then we zoom out and we are in Las Vegas. I keep doing the hand gesture and it's not helping because we're, it's just you. But you see it and I think you appreciate it. I do. So we are in the middle of the night. A cop sees a huge backhoe. Don't call me a huge backhoe. Digging in a vacant lot. My neighbor's dog is barking because she did not like that joke. (laughs) That was a dumb joke, Kimberly. A huge backhoe digging in a vacant lot in the middle of the night. 
in a tiny one casino burg, as Keith calls it, called Pahrump, Nevada. I've been there. Pahrump. Pahrump-a-pum-pum. Not to be confused with the little drummer boy, Pahrump-a-pum-pums. I have been to Pahrump. I'm not even surprised. I did not pronounce it like that when I went. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you that right now. You love the tiny offshoots of the strip. I was working. It was not on purpose. Oh, you were working. So it's 2 a.m. The cop drives over. Don't drive over at 2 a.m. where there's a backhoe digging in a vacant lot. You are going to get shot, sir. The crew boss of the crew with the trucks, Rick Tabish, says to the cop, we're removing a bunch of concrete debris. Well, first he says they're removing explosives and then that doesn't wash. So then he admits they're removing a bunch of concrete debris. And that's why they have a huge gravel truck that's called a belly dump, which is what happens after I eat dairy. And it is filled to the brim and it's like sagging from the weight of all the concrete. And so the cop says, I'm going to go look in that truck. Peeks in, nothing much to see there. 24 tons of silver, silver bars, bags of silver coins, $20 million worth of silver. How surprised were you? Not at all surprised because they said we're going back to the silver heist, the night of the silver heist. So fun fact. When I first put on this episode, I missed the Looney Tunes. I missed the Silver Heist line. Okay. So when I started watching was at the truck. Yeah. And I was expecting cocaine. Yeah. A huge truck filled with cocaine. I was shocked when I saw the silver. Also, when I went back and heard silver, I was still like, surely not. Surely it's not all silver. It's silver on top of cocaine. I really just could not... (laughs) get my head around the fact. Where's the cocaine? Because also it's not gold bullion or gold bars. When have you ever heard of someone with tons of silver? Silver. I know. Very strange. Really odd. Yeah. But it's worth a ton of money. So then Rick, the guy who is in charge of this crew, says, well, I dug up the silver from an underground vault, which... That sounds like a lie. And I had permission from the guy who owns the vault. His name is Ted Binion, who I kept thinking they were saying Binion from 90 Day Fiance of Ari and Binion. And Rick says, I swear the sheriff knows I'm here. And so they call the sheriff over and he's apparently acting very nervous. And he calls Rick a liar, says, I didn't know you were here. I think the sheriff is acting super shady. Clearly the sheriff is taking a portion right. of this 20, whatever, 24 tons of silver. He's going to be getting a cut. Absolutely. And I kind of don't blame him. You're digging up a bunch of silver in the desert for you to look the other way. Yeah, no one's going to miss one bag. I'm going to give you $100,000. You take it and buy yourself the pool. Absolutely. So they want to call... Ted Binion and ask if he gave permission, but he wasn't talking. In fact, he wasn't even breathing. Good job, Keith. So 34 hours before, we're rewinding again, 34 hours before the cops seize that silver and catch Rick doing it, a woman named Sandy Murphy found her boyfriend, Ted Binion, dead at their home. Ted was the last vestige of a Vegas that doesn't exist anymore. 
Keith says, oh, sure, it's still a gaudy strip of pavement lined with money and wishful thinking and lies. And I was like, and buffets, Keith. Do not forget about the buffets. Keith has had a few bad Vegas turns, I think. I know. It's lined with wishful thinking and lies. Wow. Harsh. Keith, what happened to you in Vegas? Did you have a bachelor party there? It stays there. We will never know because he won't tell us. Only other people's secrets. So Ted is from an era where mobs ran the casino. And then we go back. We see Keith, baby Keith. Even though Keith never ages, there's still a baby Keith. And baby Keith, 20 years ago, is interviewing Sandy And he does look the same. He's wearing a silver chain around his neck, which I've never seen him wear since like in recent years ever. Is it hidden more in recent years? No, I've never seen him wear jewelry. We would have talked about it. I had this question, so I'm glad you brought it up. Okay. I know it is a nice nod to the silver, but I've never seen him wear jewelry before like that. So Sandy is being interviewed by Keith. She is, she has a, strange to me, monotone way of talking, but then sometimes laughs and smiles. He thought she was very charming, but couldn't tell if she was very cunning or if she was truthful. She is in prison at this point during the interview. They totally give that away. They have to. Yeah. So she was a California surf girl in the winter of 1995 at age 23. She and a friend went to Vegas for two weeks, except They lost all their money in one day. Katie, has that ever happened to you? No comment. Move on. You can't lose all that money in penny slots. (laughs) That's your jam. Yeah, well, you certainly can. Please don't (laughs) underestimate penny slots or my ability to put pennies in the slots. (laughs) But I will say I'm very cautious because I have money mapped out if I know I'm going a certain amount of days. I'm a very safe Vegas player. I don't put everything on black and hope to double it. I'd love to be like that. I I shan't. I cannot. (laughs) So they lost all their money in one day. Sandy and her friend, her friend was a designer of clothing for exotic dancers. So they went to the club Cheetahs, which is a gentleman's club, and they sold the costumes to the dancers there to make money. I immediately thought of the Cheetah Girls and was wondering if Disney knew about Cheetahs when they did the Cheetah Girls. They must have. Yes, they did. Okay, so one night they're hanging out at the club and they meet Ted. And Ted is there with a mobster named Fat Herbie Blitzstein. Let's call him Size Beautiful Herbie because I don't like that F word. Keith says, remember that name. It's going to come up later. We can't forget it. We literally can't forget it, Keith. You just called him Fat Herbie. We're not forgetting Why don't we just call him the love bug? (laughs) Isn't that Herbie? The love handles bug. I'm writing that down. No, I think he sometimes thinks we're not paying attention. I think he thinks we're casual observers of this normal television show. We're not. This story is pretty intense, Keith. We're watching this one. The minute there was silver in a truck, so much silver making the truck bow like a banana, we were in. That's it. Yeah. 
So they start hanging out. The two girls start hanging out with the two guys. And by the end of the two weeks, Sandy realizes she was in love with Ted. She thought he was a tough guy, a bad boy. We should say Ted looks like a bad boy's accountant in pants that might or may not be pulled up way too high. And he's old enough to be her dad. Sandy was in love with Ted. Sandy was in love with Ted. She thought he was a bad boy. Keith, baby Keith, does not believe this for a second. He is doing a lot of smirking and saying, what about him was a bad boy? You loved him? You loved him? Let me try that again. You loved him. Okay. Does that sound more natural like I believe you? Okay. So Sandy moves into Ted's place and he gave her a credit card with $10,000 a month allowance on it, which is pittance to him because he is worth $70 million. Wow. Wow. He wanted Sandy to stay at home and look nice for her dad, I mean, boyfriend, and to not work. And she was fine with all of it. Her daddy. Her daddy. So Ted's father was Benny Binion, who got his start running underground gambling halls in Texas during the Depression. He was involved with the killing of at least three men who were his rivals. He moved out of Texas to Vegas to get away from a competing gang there. So he is a wild, wild cowboy. He moves to Vegas, builds Binion's. This the casino that's also known as the Golden Horseshoe, and he built it from scratch, and it was one of the biggest, first huge casinos in Vegas when Vegas was very mob run. So then we meet one of our heroes of the episode, Oscar Goodman, who is maybe ninety seven years old and the cutest elderly gentleman in a pinstripe suit. I was so worried he was actually going to drink that giant martini. Is that your last martini? I'm really worried. (laughs) But, you know, it's like he's one of those older people that probably still smokes and has martinis and does all the stuff the doctors tell you not to do. And he's 98 years old. He's living his life. Good for him. Get out there. He's living his life. There was a question about the martini. I thought it was an olive in it. There's something very green in it. Anna, our dear OG listener, posted a poll on Twitter what is in his martini? Olive wasn't on there. The choices were jalapeno, jalapeno, pickle, lime peel. Mm, okay. Pickle one. Okay. But the other ones got respectable votes. Yeah, it could be one of those little babies. A gherkin? The little baby, the baby gherkins. Yeah. I've seen those. Do people put those in on martinis? Yes. Okay. Then it makes sense. So this Oscar is a former attorney to a ton of mob bosses. He says he saved a ton of them from the electric chair. And he's a former mayor. I'd love to know more about that story. I love him. Yeah, he has all the stories. And he says that the mob guys at that time were as famous as actors, singers. They were celebrities. And that people walking down the street or at restaurants would point at them and say, there's little this. There's wingy that. There's hoppy this. Because they all have nicknames. Hoppy. Hoppy. Wingy. Wingy. Yeah. Where are you coming up with these? I loved it. So, well, we know, that's where Fat Herbie became Size Beautiful Herbie. So, Benny Min- Binion 
was known as uh, the cowboy. And he and Oscar ate lunch every day at the casino where Benny would order the same lunch every day. Just something very hard to talk about. Something called squirrel stew. This shouldn't be hard to talk about. It shouldn't? Because it's not true. (laughs) So Keith is disgusted and shocked and like, no, you're lying to me. And Oscar says, I swear, I swear my hand to God, you would see its head poking out of the bowl and its glassy eyes and its teeth looking at you. And then Keith segues and is like, that might not be a true story. That might be a tall tale. And for any of us who have ever had a wacky grandfather or a wacky dad, know that the minute he started talking about the head coming out of the soup (laughs) is that this guy is delighted to be pulling our leg on national television. And it is his proudest achievement. So that's amazing. But I do have a question for you, Katie. Was your New Year's resolution to cut down on carbs and get in more protein, but you're getting sick of squirrel stew every day? Any ideas for a better snack to have? I didn't say squirrel stew for myself. I said squirrel nut zippers. They were a band popular in the 90s, and I didn't like them very much. You misheard me. I've never been eating squirrel stew. I've always been eating monk pack. Monk pack is my go-to. I love them. Is that really a band that, that you just made up, or was that a real band? The squirrel nut zippers? Are you serious? Yeah, I swear. Yeah, they were a huge band. Really? Yeah. Okay. Healthy Stacks have always had a bad reputation, much like a lot of the mobsters in this episode. And let's be honest, squirrel stew and healthy snacks in general don't taste very good. They don't fill you up. They certainly don't satisfy your cravings. And that's why we're so excited to tell you about Monk Back, who makes snacks that taste like your favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain one gram of sugar or less, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. They're perfect for anybody following a keto lifestyle and the perfect snack for anyone trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have the perfect balance of sweet and salty, a crunch from whole nuts and seeds, but they still manage to be really soft and chewy. I don't know how they do it. It's magical. I love it. And I would put all my money on them in Vegas. They come in delicious flavors like sea salt, dark chocolate, caramel sea salt, peanut butter, dark chocolate, and personally, my ultimate favorite, the macadamia white chocolate, or don't snooze on the pumpkin seed cinnamon almond. Good year round and delicious. Oh, that one sounds really good. I had the dark chocolate one yesterday and it was amazing. They're all good. It's the perfect to fuel you through a podcast. It's the perfect to fuel you through anything. It's the perfect fuel to go to the gas station to get fuel for your car. It's just perfect. (laughs) They're incredible. They're the perfect size, perfect fill you up. Monkback Keto Nut and Seed Bars are delicious. They're perfect as a quick breakfast, just running errands or sitting in front of your computer editing a podcast. In addition to being keto-friendly, these bars are also gluten-free, plant-based, and non-GMO with no soy, trans fat, sugar alcohols, or artificial colors. We are obsessed with these bars. And to make sure you're always fully stocked, sign up for a subscription to your favorite flavors, which saves 10% on every order and ships them automatically. Getting these delicious treats delivered to me on a regular basis was the best decision I made in 2021. I'm excited to continue it in 2022. 
in a continuation of my effort to eat healthier. So try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a really special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code date dateline at checkout. Monkpack is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select many products. Then enter the code DATEDATELINE at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. Monk pack keto nut and seed. Do 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 do. I'm not changing it. Thank you, Monk Pack. Thank you, Monk Pack. Are you struggling to make 2022 your best year yet? Did you lose all of your money at a casino in one day, despite your resolution being to be more fiscally responsible? BetterHelp can help. They provide you with a virtual licensed therapist in the privacy of your own home. You can start communicating with the therapist in under 24 hours. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, but you can also send a message to your counselor at any time. Like a guy just told me on national TV that, Someone ate squirrel stew and there was a head sticking out. Do I believe him or not? And the counselor would be like, please save this line for emergencies. No, they would help you. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. States like Nevada, where you might stumble through a vacant lot and stumble upon $20 million of silver bars. But more likely, you'll end up getting very sick from eating too many shrimp at the $3 seafood buffet. Anything can happen in Vegas. BetterHelp has counselors specialized in all kinds of issues like depression, anxiety, sleeping problems, LGBTQ plus issues, marriage problems, even the body image issues you've gotten from being a thick and curvaceous mobster. BetterHelp is easy. It's confidential. It's affordable. Contact them today to start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com dateline. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dateline. We can all use a little better help in 2022. For you. And you too. For you and you and you. <laughs> you did it. Thank you, BetterHelp. Thank you, BetterHelp. So then we see Keith leaning on a bar wearing all black. He's wearing all black in this episode. Just very, I don't know who I'm thinking of. It's slick. It's slick. Johnny Cash. I don't know. Johnny Cash is exactly who you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Great. So he's telling one story about Ted was 25 at the time in the 60s and the target of a kidnapping plot because the family was so wealthy. The kidnapper got cold feet and the ringleader was executed gangland style. And I thought Keith said gangham style. And I got really excited for a second. Gangnam style. <laughs> but alas, it was just gangland style. Hey, sexy Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can't put lady in any song. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it. It's just the rule. Everyone thought that the dad, Benny, was in charge of that hit for the guy who tried to kidnap his son. Mm -hmm. Ted wanted to be just like his dad, Benny. He was friends with underworld types, just like his dad was. For example, size beautiful Herbie, whom Oscar, 
martini man tells us wasn't fat. He was all muscle. (laughs) And I believe Oscar. And I thought that was just a very funny distinction that he felt the need to say that. Was he worried about us thinking something that wasn't correct? I loved that. That's all right. I think he was. We he doesn't want us to judge. We're not size beautiful Herbie. We're not. We're not. It's 2022. All shapes and sizes are beautiful. Herbie. So in 97, size beautiful Herbie made headlines for all the wrong reasons. He was murdered. Oh boy. And the FBI are looking into it because it looks like a mob hit. He was shot in the back of the head. He was a mobster. So they for sure thought it was a mob hit. Now, at this point, Keith has moved over to a leather booth right next to a pool table. He keeps just moving around this bar slash casino bar and doing different stops and then talking to the camera at different locations. I loved it. There's some interesting stuff going on with his locations in this. Yeah. So right now, He's in a leather booth right next to a pool table. The FBI warned Ted that there were threats against him to get his silver. This is since his friend Herbie has now been murdered. Ted is now in danger. The mob people might be out for him. They might be out for his silver. You want to say gold so bad, don't you? Every time you want to say they want out for him and his silver. (laughs) I do. I wanted to say gold. Silver, you caught me. (laughs) Do you think that's why he did it? To just mess with people and be like, it's my treasure. Oh, is it your gold? No, it's my silver. Silver. So Keith is telling us that five months after fat, sorry, size beautiful Herbie is murdered, someone shoots into Ted's house through the window of their house when Ted and Sandy were there. So they were obviously very scared. One night around this time, Ted happens to meet a guy named Rick Tabish, who you might remember from the very beginning, at a urinal in a restaurant called Piero's. Ted reached over and shook Rick's hand at the urinal, which seems to go against accepted cultural norms from everything that I've heard from male friends. I'm going to agree with that. Okay. So they, I'm waiting to get backlash from people like, no, it's totally normal. I don't think I'm going to get it. Well, why did he describe the hand so clearly that with the right hand he reached over? What does that mean? That he had something in the left hand? The left hand was occupado. But he's clearly right handed. And I was like, what does that mean? What do you mean? Why are you describing this so much in detail? Why do we need to know about this, Rick? I don't understand what you're trying to tell us because I don't have... I don't go to the bathroom like that. So I don't know. (laughs) So they hit it off. And Keith calls this moment Ted and Rick's meet cute. That seems right. That feels right. Yeah, that feels right. That seems right. A meet cute at the urinal. A few weeks later, Ted's gaming license was revoked for life by the Gaming Commission because there was suspected drug use He was a former heroin user, I should say, and there was suspected current drug use and also his mob connections. I guess the Gaming Commission was trying to clean up all of this mob stuff. So they revoked his gaming permit. It must have been bad. This is a very established casino. Yeah. So Sandy says that Ted was devastated because this was his whole life was that casino. And that's when he went back to using heroin and his t- 
took sort of a free fall. A new boss took over at the casino, Ted's sister Becky with the okay hair. Ted had to now move his 24 tons of silver that were stashed in the basement vault of the casino because now he doesn't work for the casino anymore. He calls Rick and Rick owns a bunch of trucks. So Rick says, yeah, I'll help you move it. Where do you want to move it? Ted doesn't trust any place because he's kind of a paranoid, eccentric type of millionaire, a la Howard Hughes, a la most millionaires. Well, and he comes from a rich family. So they've been building this casino wealth. Yeah. Yeah. For a long time. So Ted has the brilliant idea to bury it in a vacant lot, kind of in the middle of this town. Let's bury it at my house. That's kind of what that sounds like to me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a house in Punham or Pin- whatever. Let's bury it there. Punham. It's like Punham, which is Yiddish for face. It's also Hunger Games. Don't they live in Panem? Panem. Panem. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Rick has a giant underground concrete safe built and put in this vacant lot and he moves the 24 tons of silver over. But Ted is spiraling from doing the heroin. He's getting worse and he is leaning on Rick as a friend and Sandy is also leaning on Rick. She became very attracted to Rick, which you kind of knew was coming. Because they look like brother and sister? Well, they're at least the same age range. They're incredibly similar looking. I could see that. I could see that they could be brother and sister. She doesn't leave Ted, though, because she felt like he was sick and struggling. And her dad used to say, tough times never last, but tough people do. Which I thought was very good advice. Unless you're enabling an addict. Right. There we go. There's qualifiers on this statement. That's all I'm saying. So I do think at this point, even though she doesn't leave Ted, this is when I start to go, are they sleeping together? Are you guys going to tell us they're sleeping together? And they don't say it yet. So Ted's sister, Becky, with the good pearls, who is being interviewed in front of a fancy horse statue. Of course she is. She says that her brother, Ted's, interest in Sandy was actually starting to fade and that he was going to dump her. A week later, Ted is dead. A week after he tells his sister he's planning to dump Sandy. But this is what the sister's saying. The sister really has always hated Sandy. So we don't know if we believe the sister. The media thought right away it must be a mob hit. The police say no, there was drug paraphernalia and pills found near Ted's body. They say it's an overdose, so they don't preserve the crime scene. For anyone wanting to see the house is just able to come and go. Sister Becky was suspicious of foul play. So she basically tells the papers it was murder and it was Sandy. Essentially, she hints that it was Sandy. She not only tells the papers that, she pointedly says, I assume the police are going to be pursuing this as a homicide. Basically, you guys better do that. Yep. And she has so much money. You can totally say that when you have that much money. Sure. I assume the police are already looking at it. Mm -hmm. Call me, chief inspector, whatever. Mm-hmm. So Sandy finds out that the family has been this. Okay, this all happens the next day after the death. Sandy goes back to the house and finds the family, people that work for the family there, 
removing things from the house and putting them into trucks. The family is also trying to stop her from entering the house. She calls Rick, who now I'm more sure that they're doing it, and says, I need your help. He brings over a video camera. And so she and her lawyer proceed to film everything in the house, going through drawer by drawer, videotaping it in case they the family takes anything. Because... Ted has apparently written a will that says that she gets $300,000 plus the house plus everything in it, which means that anything that they're removing from the house is hers. Also, apparently, eccentric Ted stored tons and tons of cash, coins, everything all over the house and not just in safes but in weird things like abandoned boat engines, they feel like there might've been some like boards that you can lift up and there's things stuck underneath them. Just random places he was hiding stuff, also safes. Ted is hiding stuff all over the house. Sandy, day after she finds him dead, she is opening drawers, yelling at people. She's grumpy. She's super grumpy. She is very sassy with the family's attorney that is there. And she's very just generally pissed about the situation. And this is a day after she found him dead. We see her opening her shoe closet, which is one of those fancy ones like on TV with the housewives where they have shelves and then the shoes are all facing outwards, you know? She had the bag glass cabinet with the little purses, the Judith Lieber bags or whatever, all the fancy stuff. Yeah. In the glass cases, it was, wow. She has, she says that's a $4,000 suit. Then she's talking about the works of art. She says, I'm leaving the Luther Gunther, but I'm taking the Vargas. (laughs) It's very. (laughs) Followed by a hair flip, but I'm taking the Vargas flip. (laughs) And then she said something snarky walking away after like, they won't know the value or something like that. Like they were going to undervalue it. Somehow the family are peons and they don't understand the brilliant Vargas. Right. Oh boy. She's the extreme nouveau rich in that she just got rich through her boyfriend. (laughs) A year ago. How long has she been there? Just a few years. A couple years. Yeah. Okay. All right. You did not know who those people were before you came. So let's stop. No, you didn't. So meanwhile, Rick remembers something that Ted had told him, which is when you die, they come out like vultures. And apparently when Ted said that, he meant his family. So Rick decides I need to get rid of all this silver because they're coming for it. So he gathers his crew and goes the middle of the night. This is the day after Ted's body was found. Middle of the night, he goes to dig up that silver. He is arrested for grand larceny. Well, what's his plan with the silver? We never find out. Yeah, I don't know where he was going to put it. This truck that was Boeing, because it was so filled, is the size of an oil tanker. If you were driving next to a truck that had that, that was carrying that on the freeway, you would move over several lanes. Correct. Because it's so big. So he's arrested for grand larceny. Sandy puts up her car and diamonds And I love that the receipt for what she was putting up just says a lot of diamonds. Lots of diamonds. No quantitative value, just lots of diamonds. Do you think they didn't know? They didn't know how to count the carrots? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what happened there. At least count the pieces of diamonds, you know? You can tell what a piece of a diamond is. and Count like 
the number of things. Good point. You can't do that. Like seven diamond pieces. Seven diamond pieces of unknown value. Yeah. Because you're not a jeweler. Or you're planning on taking one in your pocket. So you just say lots of diamonds. Lots of diamonds. And there are technically lots of diamonds. There were more diamonds, but there are still (laughs) lots of diamonds. 100%. I'm sorry. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just saying human nature tells me Mm -hmm. they're little. Well, that sheriff probably never got his silver. So he might be taking a peek around. Oh, he very well might be. And it might fall just in his pants cuff. Yeah. So Rick's bail was $100,000, which she put up all this stuff as collateral. They are at this point, I'm now 100% sure they're boning. Ted's funeral was an event. There are important people there like mayors and senators and Cindy Crawford. Wow. Why? Well, her husband is a big restaurant bar owner person. So I'm sure he owns half of Vegas. Yes, yes, yes. Becky, the sister, hires a former homicide cop, a current PI, to do an investigation because maybe the police weren't doing enough to her standards. The autopsy said that it was a heroin and Xanax overdose. But... There was heroin residue in his stomach and police say there's no way he would ingest it. He liked to smoke it, I guess. And Keith goes, that you know of. Keith. The guy, the guy's like, there's no way he would ingest it. And Keith goes, that you know of. He was totally playing devil's advocate at that moment. Wow. Now the question, why was there no cash, gold, silver, anything at the house? And he was known to have hid stuff for sure. Known to have hid tons of stuff. Apparently, he was known to carry thousands of dollars on him. And everyone around town knew he hid stuff at his house. He did not. I think he didn't totally trust the banks, which is why he kept a lot of it in the vault at the casino. So in the video shot by her lawyer, Sandy is saying, where is the money? And so she knew that there was money missing that she was supposed to get. And the question would be, did the family take it? Did the mob take it? Did Sandy herself take it? And she's asking, where is it gone as a cover? Whoever took it would need a combination to all these safes that were in the house and to know their locations. Do you think there's any way that she had a combo to the safes? I feel like she would not have had those combos. Yeah, I feel like he was very paranoid. I could be wrong. But someone had the combinations and I don't think he would give them to anyone. I think he was too paranoid for that. I think the lawyers would have the combinations. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe. That's a good point. The Binions, his family, tell the police it was Sandy. You need to be looking into it. And their lawyer says that Ted told him before he died, take Sandy out of the will. And this was like right before, like a day before he died. That's convenient. Yeah. On the day of the death, she is wheeled in an ambulance to the hospital because she's so distraught by finding him dead. She can barely talk. And they play her audio. And Keith is leaning now. She's at the hospital. and He's leaning on a piece of medical equipment. And he's saying, ask yourself, does this sound like the grief-stricken woman or a woman trying to sound grief stricken. Just tell us, Keith. (laughs) What do you think? I don't know, Keith. What do you think? Yeah, we don't want to make our own decisions. 
it sounds that you don't think that it sounded real. To me, it sounded okay. I've heard, we've heard some really bad ones on Dateline. We have. It sounded way better than most of those. I'm glad you thought it sounded okay because I did too. It's not awful. I thought it sounded okay. But then Keith is very skeptical and that makes me very skeptical. Yeah, exactly. But the contrast here between the hysterics on the phone and in the police interrogation to the very next day when she's on video pointing at things saying, I'll take this painting and they won't take this pain. There's where's my purse. That's my purse. Put it down. That's, you know, and don't grab that. Where's the money? You know, it's just it's a shocking contrast. At one point during the video, she walks by a wine glass that's on the counter and she appears to put it in her purse. I was watching so closely to see if she actually put it in her purse. Mm -hmm. Later on, she admits to putting it in her purse. So I wish that I hadn't wasted all that time looking to see if she was actually putting it in her purse because she even admits she put it in her purse. I couldn't see it either. I also rewound multiple times and it looks like she kind of moves it into her arm. It was suspicious looking. I don't know why. I don't know if she was trying to hide. Maybe she wasn't supposed to be drinking. That's my thought. That's what she says later. Did you miss that? Oh, she did say that? No, I missed that. Oh, great. Okay. Well then, hey, there we go. (laughs) She does like a turn and it kind of disappears. Like she tucks it somewhere. Then she turns on the kitchen light. And instead of turning around and walking back into the kitchen, she walks backwards into the kitchen. It's definitely like she's hiding the wine. Which is a weird move when anyone walks backwards. So it's a strange look. So, but the people who think that she's a murderer think she probably slipped something into that glass and she wants to hide it. It was, of course, never tested because the area was not treated as a crime scene. They think that Sandy and Rick slipped something in the glass because he was about to change his will or he was about to find out about them. And then we find out that they for sure were doing it. So a few days before Ted died, a few days only, Sandy came to California for a romantic getaway. She ordered roses and wine for the room, and she was there with Rick. She signs the receipt as Sandy Tabish, which is Rick's last name. And this is just a few days before Ted dies. Ted's family has Sandy and Rick brought into probate court to answer questions. Of course, Sandy pleads the fifth 200 times, literally 200 times, and so does Rick. So I would not even bring up this scene except for fashion police. I'm going to want to discuss it later. The police investigators find an old friend of Rick's who said that Rick asked him to help kill a wealthy casino owner. Doesn't look great. And then... They find a hairstylist or a manicurist who says that a week before Ted died, Sandy was talking about her boyfriend dying of a drug overdose. And then he actually did. That could be a mistake. That could be like she was worried that he was going to die of a drug overdose and then he did. And they misheard. Yes. They misheard. But the find let's find someone to help kill a wealthy casino owner. It doesn't look great. So nine months after Ted dies, Rick and Sandy are arrested for murder. They are tried together, which is, we don't see all the time. It's very 
rare. Sandy at this time, though, has a new man. She might not be doing it with Rick. She has a man named Bill Fuller, who is an Irish entertainment mogul who is very rich and at least 70 plus years old. And he has taken a shine to her after watching her case on the news. So he decides to bankroll the whole thing. He visits her in prison. (laughs) The local reporter says he visited her in prison and he saw the pickle she was in. Okay. She is on trial for murder. It is more than a pickle. It's not just a gherkin at this point. It is one of those giant pickles you get at Disneyland. Yeah, it is. Super pickle. This Irish gentleman posts her bail, gets her an apartment, hires her a top defense attorney. And so she now has an attitude in court like, I got this. She has new blonde hair. She has painted her ankle monitor to match her outfit. I'll say that again. She has painted her ankle monitor to match her outfit. It looks pretty good. It's it's not easy to do. It was a nude shoe and she painted it somehow had the exact beige paint to do that. No, you're mixing colors. That takes time. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Well, she's out on bail. She has time. Katie, can you think of anything that's also classy looking, but maybe she could have just worn something that goes down to her shoe and would have covered her ankle monitor, given her a great look in court, given the jury, you know, great vibes from her. Yes. Look professional, trustworthy. And stylish. Thoughts? That means beta brand pants. Yep. If you think that you have to sacrifice style for comfort, you would be wrong. You can look super classy and stylish, but also feel fantastic in what you're wearing all day long. It's 2022. Women deserve better. Beta brand has the comfortable pants that women need without sacrificing style, polish, or personality. Preach! Because they have a lot of styles to choose from. Beta brand stress pant yoga pants are designed with the fit and flexibility of yoga pants, but they look like polished dress pants. They really do. Yeah, they absolutely do. They're soft, comfy, they're perfectly stretchy, and they stay wrinkle-free, which is a godsend. Choose from dozens of colors, patterns, cuts, styles. They have boot cut, joggers, cropped, skinny, denim yoga pants now, so they look like full-on jeans. Fantastic. They have fun limited edition prints too, but they do sell out fast, so don't wait. Get on it. I have the skinny leg yoga denim so I can wear them with my knee high boots. And my mom has the straight leg classic, which previously she had been saving only for special occasions because they're her (laughs) very best looking pants. She thinks and she's correct. They look the best on her. They're her favorite pants until this year. I got her a second pair. Oh, nice. So now she has another pair of the exact same pants. So she feels like she can mess up the other ones. But they really (laughs) wash great. So it's okay. Don't worry about it, mom. Yeah. Women love these dress pants, yoga pants, because they fit so well. If you're sitting at a desk for eight hours, bending or moving all day, running all over town, there's no digging, pulling or squeezing. They move with you whatever you're doing. So you look good and you feel great all day. And if you think this sounds good, here's more to get excited about. Pockets, Kimberly's favorite. Yay! Who said pockets? What? Pockets? Pockets. 
pockets. And as I said earlier, machine washable yoga denim. Look like denim, feel like heavenly comfort. It's time. Get over to Beta Brand and check it out. Right now, you can get 30% off your Beta Brand order when you go to betabrand.com forward slash dateline. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com forward slash dateline for 30% off your order for a limited time. Make sure to use this special URL because it supports our show. And yeah, we want to support you looking great in some fancy new pants. Betabrand.com forward slash dateline today for 30% off. Style plus comfort equals beta brand. It's a simple math equation that we can all understand. Yep. Mm-hmm. None of that MC squared nonsense. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have a confession to make. I must be trying to reconnect with my inner child because, or my inner Seinfeld, I guess I should say, because I've been eating cereal morning, noon, and night lately. No joke. Nothing wrong with that. That's okay. And no, I don't feel shame. But then I felt a little shame when I was looking at the ingredients and the nutritional value of the cereal. Like not too much shame because 2022 is the year of no food shame, but a little bit of. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, a whole bowl of sugar and no protein. And maybe I should do a little better. So that's why I'm so excited that we are again sponsored by Magic Spoon. I love, love, love Magic Spoon. Yes, delicious. Magic Spoon cereals have zero grams of sugar. Zero grams of sugar. I don't even know how that is possible. 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving and is only 140 calories a serving. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. They have a bunch of amazing flavors, but I recommend the Build Your Own Box because you can customize your bundle with cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. Did I say they had amazing flavors or what? I'm also a cereal mixer or maybe kind of like a cereal layer with like a parfait. Like a trifle. Like a trifle. So I just might layer all of these and then eat it all in like a layer design, like a seven layer dip, but of cereal. And I won't even feel guilty about it because they're so healthy. And I might have a second bowl because enjoy your life. Mm-hmm. Go to magicspoon.com slash date dateline to grab a custom bundle of cereal right now and start your new year off right. And be sure to use our promo code date dateline at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed with a hundred percent happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to get your delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash date dateline and use the code date dateline to save $5 at checkout. Your magic in a bowl. Magic in a bowl. Magic spoon. Magic spoon. I'm going to be the big spoon in this magic spoon cuddle thing I have going on. Does that make any sense at all? I'm going to be the bowl. No, we're not cuddling each other. I'm not understanding the analogy. (laughs) I'm cuddling magic spoon and I'm the big spoon. Because I'm enveloping my body around the boxes of cereal. Oh, okay. So I'm the big spoon. Thank you, Magic Spoon. Thank you, Magic Spoon. So 
Sandy appears to, she has a glow up. She does have this blonde do. She has the dyed ankle monitor. She is laughing and appears to be very carefree. She appears to be in a Virginia Slims ad. She's got legs. She knows how to, she's like laughing with a kind of bouncy Jennifer Gray from Dirty Dancing hair. Her head just like, <laughs> like Carly Simon hair. Yeah. Where you laugh and you tilt your whole head back. With like this short beige skirt suit and she's kind of got one shoulder cut. I can't, <laughs> even, you know what I'm talking about, right? The look. Yes. I 100% know what you're talking about. Again, you are on trial for murder, Sandy. Don't act like that. Don't be laughing like that. Yeah. So the prosecutor says all of the evidence we need is on this video where she's walking through the house. She walks by where she found Ted dead. No tears. She walks by a safe and she says that safe is empty, but the door is closed to the safe. How does she know it's empty unless she took out the money? I know why. I figured that one out. Okay. Probably because he got a new safe and that's the old one and he put it in that room. That's actually not bad. Thank you. I know it's pretty good, actually. But then I hope her defense said that's why. I hope when her defense was. They didn't call me. Yeah. Well, she should have said that if she was saying if she heard the prosecution saying that she should whisper to her defense guy and said that's because that safe was empty because it was an old safe. I'm hoping that that's what happened. And the deadline just had to cut it for time. Maybe. So after the death, Rick apparently gave his brother-in-law rare silver coins to pay back a loan, which again, I feel like the brother-in-law would probably just have rather have cash or a check because now these coins he has to deal with. I'm very interested in coins. And if anyone's giving them out, I am not going to turn them down. (laughs) Don't waste your time with Kimberly. I'm still interested. I think that the coins are fascinating. Hold on a second. Yeah. Weren't they friends? Yeah. So that could be explained as to why Rick has these same kind of coins that Ted has, because maybe Ted gave him some in exchange for moving all that silver or something before he died. Of course he did. Or maybe he just said, maybe he just had a ton of money. And he was going through a really bad addiction and was like, I don't care here. Yeah. Gave him some stuff. You don't, nobody knows what happened here. I mean, the sad thing is it doesn't look good. So even if it was completely innocent, it looks terrible. Mm-hmm. The prosecution brings up that Sandy put that wine glass in her purse and that looks really bad. The prosecution also says that if Ted had taken the up to 60 Xanax that he apparently took to overdose, you'd find particles of the pills in his stomach, but not if the pills were ground up into a liquid. And so Keith says, well, how could they have forced him to drink this cocktail of pills and heroin? And the prosecutor says, the same way you force a child to take their medicine, there were restraint marks on his wrists and they could have closed his nose shut. Does the prosecutor have children? (laughs) Is the prosecutor suggesting you restrain your child to get them to take their Flintstone chewables? What's happening here? I think we all know the only appropriate Joe Frost approved method to get a (laughs) child to do anything you want is to bribe them with a meaty treat. (laughs) Is that what Joe Frost does? 
No. Hot dog. <laughs> hot dog. Hot dog. You want a hot dog? Hot dog. Hot dog. You want a hot dog? That is the only appropriate way to get a child to take their medicine. If you haven't heard our latest double date, that's where that is from. You inject the hot dog, the hot dog with whatever the medicine is with a long syringe. Oh, like you do with a dog. Like a pill pocket, like a big, long, meaty pill pocket. Perfect. But also, please don't try that at home. I don't think that works. So I'm just, <laughs> it's a joke. I'm not suggesting that you do that to your child. It does work with dogs, though. If you give, wrap it in cheese or something or a pill pocket, just buy the pill. They make things called pill pockets. Dogs love them. They do, but they're expensive. They're irritating leagues. They're a little bit more than I like to spend. They are pricey. So I will say on this theory, Sandy kind of hints to Keith that he knew what he was doing with the Xanax and the heroin, and he didn't want to be here anymore. So she's kind of implying that he maybe overdosed on purpose. He Could he have ground up the pills and drank them on purpose? And that's why there were no residue in his stomach. So they bring in an expert who hosted a show on HBO called Autopsy. Never heard of it. He says Ted was suffocated and he uses an 18th century word called burking, which is where you sit on someone's chest and they suffocate from lack of air. Burking. Burking. There are marks on Ted's chest that this expert believes were left from a shirt button that is like being pressed into his chest from someone sitting on his chest. Did you think that when you saw it? No. Okay. The family lawyer, whose name I'm just realizing when, as I'm watching, not right the second, but as I was watching the episode, at this point, I just realized his name is James Brown. Yeah. Yeah. He feels good. James Brown. It feels good. What's, what's your point? <laughs> he says that Ted said to him, take Sandy out of the will if she doesn't kill me tonight. And if something happens, you know who did it. So mark that off your bingo cards. It feels so convenient that he said absolutely everything that would point to her doing right. the crime. But this does have the prosecution saying, I feel good. You stole my joke. It would have been funnier if you hadn't said it. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Was that written in your notes? I thought you were trying to do it off the back of my joke. Oh, it's a disaster. Disaster. It's fine. The defense says it was a simple overdose and that's all it was. And the defense says, of course, she was angry on the videotape. She was promised everything in the house by Ted and the family is taking stuff out. She tells Keith, I hid that wine glass in my purse because I had been drinking and I didn't want anybody to know. Okay. So to me, that is not, I don't buy that. Oh, I think it does. You think so? You have no, we have no idea what our history is. That's true, I guess. But it, there's a bunch of glasses out. Why couldn't you just leave it there and it would be an old glass? I don't know. I think also if you're ashamed of something, you're hiding it. So she's obviously, if she, maybe she's taking medication that she knows she's not supposed to drink with. We don't know. There's a host of things, but she's obviously embarrassed enough to move it and try to hide it and be like, ugh. Yeah. I shouldn't have left this out. And she maybe is drinking more than she should. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, she did just lose her boyfriend. 
She did, again, which makes me think that there's a reason she's really not supposed to be drinking, so. Interesting. So they say the heist wasn't a heist, that Rick did talk to the sheriff three times that day to tell him what they were doing. That sheriff, shifty, shifty. Yeah. The defense brings on Cyril Wecht, true crime people will recognize. He's been on a million things. And he says... It was a drug overdose. That's what the autopsy said was correct. The jury deliberates for eight days. Eight days is a long time. Rick and Sandy are found guilty and given life. So now Keith is leaning elsewhere and he says, now there's a question that I refrain from asking. Did you do it? Because how could I expect them to suddenly decide to confess on national TV? after declaring their innocence during the trial. And I felt like a little was that shade because every other Dateline host always does that. Oh, no, he wouldn't do that. I don't think he would do that. I know he wouldn't do that. He's a kind man. But all the other hosts do that. And then he even cuts to himself as baby Keith 20 years ago asking that very question. So he's like, I don't do it, but I did it. And I said, did you do it? And she says, no way. Absolutely not. I can, no, it's so ridiculous. I would never hurt him. She says she knew she lost when the jurors came in because so many were wearing their sunglasses. It was like, jurors are allowed to wear sunglasses inside the court? Yeah, I would like an answer to that. Are they? It may be in Vegas. Because um, like the gambling, you're allowed to wear shades so people can't see your poker face. Still feel like that's cheating, but that's cool. I'm really surprised they're allowed to wear sunglasses in court. Yeah. That's shocking to me. I know one of our listeners that can answer that question. I know she'll tell me. Okay. So she says, God is on my side. I still believe I might get out. Miracles happen every day. But she does it very monotone. She's super monotone. Miracles happen every day. If it is God's will that I stay in here, then that is fine. God is on my side. You didn't notice that she speaks in idioms a lot, an extra lot? A lot. Everything she says is some sort of just... Soundbite, 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 soundbite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Her benefactor, her Irish gentleman, Bill Fuller, fires her defense attorney. And brings in the one, the only, Alan Dershowitz. Oh, boy. To file an appeal. And he says there's simply no evidence. The lawyer, James Brown's testimony, was hearsay. Also, this is a man's world. (laughs) So Rick was also charged with extortion with a deadly weapon as part of a different case regarding a former business partner he had. And for some reason, that charge was included when he and Sandy are tried together for murdering Ted, which does seem totally bogus. That's not right. Yeah, that doesn't seem right at all. Also, I don't think they should have been tried together because if one of them looks more guilty than the other one, their other one's taken that person down. Correct. So he says, Alan Dershowitz says it should have been a separate trial for that one charge versus the murder charges. And it works. They are both granted a new trial. 
So her Irish benefactor hires an unknown attorney to defend her. His name is Michael Cristelli. He seems very nice, but he was very young at the time. Hold on. Bill Fuller is footing the bill, I believe is what Keith (laughs) says at this point. There we go. And I wanted Keith to know that I see him. I see you. I see what you did there. And I'm happy about it. Okay. I missed it. So good. Rick Tabish, he hires an older lawyer named Tony Sarah with long, long flowing cotton candy white hair. I'm obsessed. And his courtroom showmanship antics. I'm obsessed with this guy. <laughs> Who is this guy? He should have his own show. He, he should have his own series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he first takes on the expert that testified about the Angela Birking. <laughs> Terrible joke. So he takes on this expert and says, you only looked at the autopsy photos. You'd like to look at the button. You'd like to see the button. You'd like to measure the button, wouldn't you? You'd like to make love to the button. You'd like to organize a flash mob with the button. You'd like to take the button out for tapas, wouldn't you? He didn't say those last parts. But he says everything else. And then he keeps going. He's like, you'd like to know how thick the button is. You'd like to know what the button is made of. You'd like to know what the button's favorite baseball team is. And you'd like to know what the button's gender pronoun is, wouldn't you? Yes, yes, I love the button. He's so intense going over and over with this guy. And he's like, wouldn't you like to experiment with the button? And the expert says... No, I wouldn't like to experiment with the button, which I thought was really dumb because he is a scientist and he should want to experiment with the button and make sure that that button was what made the imprint. And he's admitting that he would not want to experiment with the button. And he is fine just having looked at an autopsy photo of the button imprint. And making snap decisions. (laughs) Okay, button up. They enlarge a photo of the button mark. And turns out it's not a button mark. It's skin cancer, a carcinoma. Of course it is, because it didn't look anything like a button mark. It's driving me crazy. It did, look, it did not look like a button mark. But yeah. The defense, even though this guy is crazy, he's nailing it. Tony, you're doing a good job, even though the jury might be put off by your antics and you're off putting demeanor. The jury loves it. They love you. Keep going. You keep doing you. He is entertaining. At least this is not a court case where the jury is falling asleep. They're never falling asleep because he's literally screaming the whole time. Correct. Then Tony decides to call Rick to the stand. Oh boy. And which usually does not go well. But he says, did you have anything to do with Ted's death? And Rick looks directly at the jury and says, absolutely, unequivocally, no. The prosecution, though, now gets to take their turn at Rick because he's on the stand. So they say, so let me get this straight. You've been convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, false imprisonment, all these other charges regarding this other case, because those charges were not overturned, just the ones regarding Ted's murder. Right. But we should believe you now that you're telling the truth and you didn't do this, but you got accused, you got charged with all this other stuff. So it makes him look like a criminal on the stand. But I actually thought he handled it okay. He goes, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's all you need to say. Yeah, he stayed very calm. 
Don't explain yourself. Just, yeah. Yeah. Defense attorney Tony Sarah summons the theatrics he was famous for in his closing. Okay. I wrote it all down. I'm ready. Yep. He's standing facing the jury. Also, please be aware that he stands hunched forward. Very, he's very tall, stands very hunched forward, and has gray hair all the way, gray white hair all the way down his back. It matters. That's sometimes in a ponytail. Yes. He says, it's the casinos. They rise high in the heavens. The neon lights are blinding. Each casino is like an ancient palace. And the minions, sorry, the minions, it auto-corrected to minions. (laughs) In my notes, the minions are an entitled family who are poisonously trying to accuse Rick and Sandy of nothing. Ted Binion was a demigod. He lies fallen on his sheath. Hail Caesar! We will find an assailant. A head must be brought forth and placed on the stick by dusk. Quoth the raven. (laughs) Nevermore. The faces of the other attorneys were priceless. Yeah, he's trying not to laugh. One of them does that thing where you you like pinch your upper nose. Yeah. You know, between your eyes, like you've just gotten a piercing migraine. Yeah. And the other one is trying not to laugh and trying to be like serious and also being like freaking Tony is doing it again. Why do I always get paired with Tony in these trials? Like, why is this happening? Yes. And I think it's more just that Tony seems a little long-winded or a lot long-winded. He's going off about this parable about Caesar and a head on a stick. The whole courtroom looks so puzzled. Lots of heads tilted askew at 45 degree angles. They're just like, huh, what's he talking? Is he serious right now? And he's like whispering it almost like he's in a Shakespeare play. It's very strange. Yeah. So then baby Keith talks to a brunette Sandy before the jury decides. She says she doesn't even think that Ted's family believes there was actually a murder. She thinks they believe it was an overdose, but they're simply coming after her for spite. Wow. They don't want her to inherit so much. And Keith says, well, the amount you're getting would be peanuts to them. And she says, they wanted to disinherit me. She sounds like a zombie. She says, you should never have hate in your heart. The family will have to live with what they've done, not me. And Keith says, Keith, who talks like a normal person, which sounds in such contradiction with the way she speaks, says, well, with all due respect, you might have to live with it, though. Good, Keith. In prison. So they are all waiting for the jury and the judge to come back. And Sandy is sitting in the corner and she is so stressed. She finally starts throwing up in a trash can. Oof. Yeah, it's rough. Finally, the judge comes in and the jury comes in and they find her not guilty. And she's so happy. She's crying. 
and Rick is also found not guilty. However, they are convicted of stealing the silver. So Rick would have to stay a few more years in prison, which he says, it's fine. I've accomplished a lot in prison. I'm doing great. I'm a pillar of the community in prison. I will do fine with a few more years in here. And he has a great attitude. And Sandy gets off with time served. So she can't get out of Nevada fast enough. And she returns to Southern California to where she walks on the beach with Keith, again, looking kind of like she's in some sort of 90s commercial. And she's very grateful. I'm grateful to be home. I'm grateful to be in a place that feels like home. I can hardly believe it. I'm so grateful. It feels like a memory. Oh, my gosh. And she said she says a lot of things without saying anything really at all. Correct. It's a lot. I fear how we talk sometimes. So I, <laughs> I can't say much, but I agree. It's interesting. And then Keith says there's an epilogue. Well, two, actually. So the first one is that there's a bunch of rumors that Ted was killed by the mob. Mm. So one of size beautiful Herbie's killers tells the FBI we were planning to kill Ted also. We were going to paralyze him with a taser and then give him a drug overdose of heroin because we know he does drugs. And that same guy is like, I'm sure they are going to do it. Like, they'll still do it. And then that's what happens. Keith talks apparently on the phone with a member of the FBI who is now in witness protection. How cool is Keith's job? Yeah. And Keith smirks and says he didn't want the call recorded because he's in witness protection. I get it. He tells Keith that in the 90s, some of his fellow mobsters had talked a lot about killing Ted and getting his silver. Why? Just to get the silver? Was that why they wanted to kill him? I couldn't figure it out. I think that's one of the reasons. But also, I don't know. I think in that world, you just have feuds with other people, other mobsters. And it sounded like Benny Binion was a real tough guy. And he might have pissed off a lot of people. And so it was like a feud going back to families and stuff. Yeah, definitely could have been. Keith says at one point that a a local paper called them the Sopranos. So they definitely have feuds going on with other families. Sandy's newest attorney says, no, it was an overdose. There's no evidence that it was anything else. And Keith says, well, someone did take a shot through his house, though. So there was someone out to get him. And the lawyer says it's not related. So and then Oscar, the man with the martini, the mayor, the ex-mayor, ex-lawyer, ex-mayor, ex-lawyer, says no one would want to hurt Ted. He's a great guy. It was an accidental overdose. I don't know how he excuses the shot through the window, though. Like someone wanted to hurt Ted. It seems that way. Or do a warning shot. I don't know. So the second epilogue is what has happened since then. Rick got out of prison in 2010 He made a bunch of money in oil. He now runs a business mining for cryptocurrency, which don't ask me to explain. And Keith says, talk about old school versus new. Because he was digging for the silver, and now he's doing with the cryptocurrency. That is hysterical. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. Sandy never got any money from Ted's estate, which I was very surprised by how they could keep it from her if she was freed. Maybe that lawyer did change the will in time. 
Oh, I know. I think it's just money and lawyers. I think they would have fought her till she ran out of money to pay her lawyers. That's possible, too. She got married, had kids, opened an art gallery near the beach. What beach? Where are they? It's somewhere in Southern California. Keith keeps saying this beach, in fact. And I'm like, where are you, Keith? Yeah. Which beach are you? Was Newport? Was it Dana Point? I don't recognize the pier. I really would love to know. I didn't recognize the pier either. But they do have a ton of art galleries by the beach, especially in Laguna. I know. Laguna has a million art galleries. That's where I was exactly where I was thinking in Orange County. Yeah. And Keith lives in Orange County, right? Yeah. He lives in Laguna, I think. So that's what she wanted to tell Keith about when she flagged him down on the PCH that day. And she wanted to tell him about her new life far, far, far from Las Vegas. And that is how we end the episode. Do you think that really happened that she flagged him down on PCH? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay. Do you think she did it? No. You don't? No. What Do you think it was just a drug overdose? Yeah. Interesting. I do. On purpose? Possible. Because they went to wherever they were going, to that little getaway right before. I think he found out about it. And I don't think he was going to cut her off. I think he just didn't want to go... So do you think he didn't tell the lawyer to cut her out of the will and didn't tell his sister that he was going to break up with her? I think he might have really liked her. And I think it might have been a broken heart scenario. Yeah, that's possible. But I honestly don't know. I can see this going a bunch of different ways. I'm really confused about it. My sort of first instinct is that, no, she didn't overdose him and Burke him. Burke, give him the Burke. Yeah. No, that didn't happen. I don't. The heroin residue in the stomach is weird, but I think that there could probably be a specialist that came in that would say with his level of use at the time that it would maybe somehow end up like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know the science behind it. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he did? I just I have such trouble with the coincidences, which are the fact that he apparently told several people he was going to break up with her, cut her out within the week right before, Mm. just a few days before she went out of town with his, one of his close friends. Mm -hmm. It does seem very shady, but he was a heavy drug user. So I think most likely it is just a really bad coincidence and everything looks really bad at her, but something, but I don't trust her and I don't get a good vibe from her at the same time. Well, and it's really hard because at this point, too, she's not going to be a girlfriend. She's a caretaker. Yeah. Because he can't take care of himself, right? Yeah. He's heavy using. And she says to Keith that she was having to clean him up off the floor and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So this was, he may have been through a couple of overdoses already. We don't know. It's just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's possible that she is a gold digger and scammer. But I don't know if that makes a murderer. But also not a murderer. I think that there it can, both things can be true. She can be innocent of this crime, but also be fully using him for his money. And I think that the most convenient way, I think you we are underestimating the power of the family and the power of that kind of money, mm-hmm. that the easiest thing to happen here is that she goes to prison because then she won't get the inheritance. Mm-hmm. And I think that they maybe also bought into his buried treasure stuff, that there was 
silver in that damn house. And so they were going to, they didn't know where it was, but if she was left the actual house, I think they were worried that all of the fortune was tied in the house somehow. Right. Yeah. Easiest way for her not to get her inheritance is to. Right. I would like to know how much he actually had in the bank. So if we know 20 million of the silver was buried and that money was going to, I don't know who. They said 80, didn't they? 80 million? When she met him, it was 80 million. He had 70 and she had, and 20 million was buried and that money would not go to her. So I don't know who that money was allotted to in his will. Where was he taking the silver? To her? Who? Tavish. Rick Tavish, who dug up the silver. Yeah, I'm sh- Well, we don't know that. I'm I'm sure he had some dumb plan, like he was going to put it in his backyard or something. I don't know. He needed, he was going to find somewhere quick to hide it so that the family couldn't get to it. But why? It's not his and it's not hers. It's not his. And whatever the lawyers found out, the will said, that's who would get that money. She was only owed the stuff that was in the house. So that's why I'm wondering how much was in the house versus was there also money in the bank? Let's say he had 50 million in the bank. Uh. That would be... 70 million and he didn't have that much at the house. But the family didn't know that. Why does the family want that money so badly? They also have their casino money. You know, that's why she seems to think it was just about her not getting anything. Because they want the Vargas. (laughs) They don't know it's worth. They don't know it's worth. How much is a Vargas worth? They don't know it's worth. I don't know. I tried to find that other one and I couldn't find it. The Gunther Luther, Luther Gunther. It was a sculpture. It looks like a huge vase. Painting. I think you have to call it a vase if it's a if it's a piece of art. Mm-hmm. How much is a Vargas painting worth? Oh, depends. Looks like the highest record is 100,000. Okay. So not a million. So it's not that much money. Just um, compared to how much the family was worth, unless there's money troubles that we don't know about with the family, the family was worth just so much more than that. Yeah. So that's why I find it so hard that they would fight and get a woman put in prison so that they didn't have to give her any of that money. I fully agree. Which might have just been a couple million dollars, which to them is nothing. Yeah. So- Unless there's something I'm missing. I don't know. But I don't necessarily think she did it. I think it probably was just an overdose. But the mob thing is very interesting, too. He did have threats against him. So that's very interesting, too. I'm curious to hear what other people think, because I really don't know what happened. Yeah, me too. It doesn't seem like Keith thinks she did it at all. Keith does not seem to be thinking that she's guilty of this. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that Rick seems guilty either. But Rick seems shady to me. Why did Rick all of a sudden come into the bathroom and, okay, well, it's fine. It's fine. I don't understand. Rick seemed okay to me. But then when I found out he apparently tried to kidnap his ex-business partner with a gun or something, I was thinking, Rick, I didn't know you at all. Well, we don't know what that was about either. You can't trust anybody. I know. I don't know. We don't know. He was convicted of it. That's all we know. Okay. B-roll Bonanza. Yeah. So much Vegas. Just all the Vegas. I have one thing right from the very first scene. The second first minute is when mm-hmm. the Panam, Pana, the Panam sheriff is 
He's in like a leather jacket. He's like the most Vegas looking cop I've ever. He's not a sheriff. He's just a cop. He's so Vegas looking in like sort of the oversized long leather jacket. And then he's being interviewed in sort of perched on his cruiser with the lights going. Did you see that? (laughs) They've got the lights on. So it's like red, red, white. And I was... First of all, I thought they need to put a warning on this because it's going to give people seizures. The <laughs> lights are going. He thought it would look so cool if the lights were on. He did. He told them, wait, you guys, I have an idea. I have an idea. Let me turn the lights on. He, you know what? His eight-year-old son thought it was cool. Yeah. But his 15-year-old son still hates it. <laughs> Will never think it's cool. And it's not his fault. He's just at that age, dad. You're fine. Yeah, it's just that age. I want to talk about Oscar for a second. I want to talk about him for more than a second. He is shown repeatedly in what appears to be some sort of throne chair, a chair throne at a, what I would call a semicircular desk. It's a desk in the shape of a crescent. That's too small for him. It is too small, but it's almost like he can just spin around. He has mementos on the walls and mementos everywhere, like photos and things are framed in like shadow boxes and stuff. This desk was like hilarious. Like he could just spin and look at anything, any of his mementos. I've never seen a desk like that, except on maybe a 911 operator, somebody who has to be able to like spin around a lot, reach different things. I got to say. I think that those mementos are not normally on his desk. I think everything was brought down so that it would be in the camera view for Dateline. Yeah. It was all clearly very important items. Wait, but that throne chair does not spin. That is not a swivel. So that throne chair is not normally the chair that goes to that (laughs) desk. Let's be very clear. That throne chair is also brought in, which makes me think it's a movie prop. Is it from Casino? I was just going to say it was like a set from the movie Gladiator and he bid on it in an auction or something. I feel like it's more likely something from Casino or Goodfellas. If he handles the mob, then it's probably from a mob movie. You're absolutely right. Does Al Pacino sit in a big chair like that in Scarface? Maybe. In that famous scene behind the desk? Not this kind of chair. This kind of chair looked medieval. It did, but is it possible that... Somebody also did that, like a big mobster had like a throne. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. I just, yeah. I think you're totally right. I think totally it's movie memorabilia. Did you see the Martini the Mayor poster that somebody made for him? So obviously martinis are his drink. That's his signature drink. And that's why he has it on Dateline. That's hilarious. He's so cute. Mm -hmm. And he also had a blanket with faces on it, much like the one you gave me for Christmas this year. I don't know what the faces were on the blanket. Yeah, mobsters? I don't know. I feel like he has a deck of playing cards with all the mobsters' faces on them or something. He just collects all the memorabilia. It's so funny. And he was very part of that world. Yeah, he was. So it's funny that he's so collects stuff from it. It's very cute. He's delightful. Yeah, that's all I got. Most of the episode, we're just watching the video of her looking through all the stuff in the house. Oh, well, Keith had a drink twice. Oh, he did? hmm By him. What was it? I don't know. One was a little rocks glass with what appeared to be probably a top shelf whiskey. And then the other one was a bigger drink, but it was further away from him in two different shots. I was watching it because I was like, that's an interesting, 
that must have been a choice. They must have had to discuss that. Yeah. He's leaning on a bar. Should we have a drink next to him? And it's in the shadow. It's like by his elbow. I had to look for it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I didn't even notice it. Uh Uh-huh. There you go. Let's keep going. Let's do fashion police. Let's do that. I really only have Oscar is wearing this pinstripe suit. But really, Sandy, when she takes the stand in that deposition or whatever, she is wearing an all white suit and or ivory sort of. Ivory. Yeah. An off white. Mm -hmm. Ivory white gloves inside. And her hair is curled in that like soft curl. She's very Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman after the makeover. Yes. Or Deborah Tipton. Oh, Miss Deborah Tipton. It's a very Southern. It's very mint julep. She's wearing the gloves inside. It's so funny. Again, she's this society lady. Or going to church on Sunday. It's really weird on Easter Sunday. It's strange. It's very strange for a girl who just came to Vegas for two two weeks and flew her money. And that was the best trip to Vegas ever. She made out like a bandit, mm-hmm. except in the end, she really didn't. She spent several years in prison, so she's suffered. Do you want to talk about Tony's look really quick in depth? I have come up with, do you know who Edgar Winter is? Mm-hmm. Edgar Winter crossed with Uncle Fester mm-hmm. with a bald spot. Okay. How's that? Yeah, I could see that. It, I feel like it kind of works. The original Uncle Fester... Or it doesn't really matter, I guess. More the Christopher Lloyd type Uncle Fester because of the shape of his eyes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can totally see that. I would like to sit down with him. But taller, much, much taller than Uncle Fester. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll go back to the drawing board on that. I feel like that's not quite right. I'm missing another person. We're taking suggestions. Dumbledore. Dumbledore crossed with Uncle Fester, crossed with Edgar Winter. Okay. Okay. Or or any wizard, Gandalf, any wizard. Sure. A tall wizard. But he had sort of a messy quality to him. Doesn't Dumbledore have a brother? Yeah, he definitely does. So would he be good at playing Dumbledore's brother? Yeah, and his brother was a messy bee. Yes, so there we go. Nailed it. Okay, do you have a Real Housewives line? I do. Ready? Here we go. Yeah. Turn around. I'm taking back my life. Oh, and I'm taking the Vargas. And the reason I wanted to do it is because do you remember in The Jerk when he's leaving the house with Steve Martin? He's like, all I need is this. I just need this thing. Oh, with that. I don't need anything with that thing and this chair and this thing over here. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's what I'm talking about. It reminded me so much of that scene. I forgot how funny that was. And how much I want to just be Bernadette Peters, if that is possible. In 2022, that's my goal. Just become Bernadette Peters. But that's Steve Martin doing it, you know. I know, but that's who makes that movie for me because she's just a doll. All right. She is. She's amazing. Side note, if anyone never watched Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Bernadette Peters had several episodes on it where she sang. Oh, I bet that was delightful. And that was just that last year. I guess it was last season. The show just ended. I think it got picked up again by another network. It's a great show. And highly recommend. Also ghosts on CBS. So the only housewife line I had, which is not really good, which I don't think we can use. Oh, you have one. Go. I don't think we can use it. It's probably offensive. 
turn around. I'm the heroine of my own story. See, we can't use it. No, but that was good. Thank you. That was a really good play on words. You did it. Thank you. Let's do titles really quick. Mm-hmm. Okay. A squirrely criminal. I couldn't think of anything better with squirrel because the squirrels do. No, it's fine. Okay. What happens in Vegas is a lot of bad things. There we go. The silver fox Keith Morrison goes digging for silver bars, wins silver medal. <laughs> He's doing like a newspaper headline. That's great. And with the Olympics, it's good. It was delightful. Yeah, somehow with the Olympics. Let's go Ganglin style, which you already did. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Something with Birking, but I never got there. My last one is the Godfather of Soul is going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Because James Brown was the godfather of soul. Did you look up James Brown or did you just know that? I looked it up. <laughs> just, no, I was thought about lying and then I decided not to. I appreciate your honesty and I probably would have suspected you of lying. I would have been impressed. I knew he had a nickname and I had, I was like, what? I can't, couldn't remember what the nickname was. Then you get points for that. But then it's also part perfect that it turns out to be the Godfather. So, yeah. All right. You get points for that. Uh, that was my last one. I didn't finish this. Why didn't I write this down? I guess I'll just combine them two together. I have safe at home, my Birking bag. <laughs> there we go. That's it. But I had safe at home, like safe and safe. Okay. And then a binion reasons to kill. There we go. And then my last one. Make new friends, keep the old. One digs up silver that the other stole. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, it's very good. I'm not going to sing it, but yeah, that one took me a minute. Thank you. I worked hard on that. That's perfection. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Follow us on social media and check out our Patreon. And I'm doing Amazing Race with Kim from People Are Wild and Jody from Reality TV. And we love to hate everything. And we are doing 90 Day Hooray, the latest season of 90 Day. Katie and I are doing it. And it is crazy. Yes. It's crazy already. So check that out. And we do bonus episodes of true crime shows every every month and live streams and all sorts of fun stuff. And that's all I got for you all. Take care of each other and be kind to someone this week. Be kind to everyone, but be extra kind to someone. Yes, always. And be kind to Kimberly. <laughs> that's right. Okay, and Katie. They can be mean to Katie, but kind to me. <laughs> We'll switch next week. It's good. Okay. There we go. That makes sense. There's 52 weeks in a year. Let's just go back and forth. Done. Easy peasy. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Stay fresh, cheese bags. I don't have a lot of money, but you'd be excited to find like $40 in something, right? Yeah. If I hid little rolled up $40 all over... Would you be excited about the treasure hunt or would it make you sad? I would be excited, but I would rather have it be more like a scavenger hunt with clues. Okay. Westing game. You want me to Westing game it? I would love more of a Westing game situation. Okay. Yeah. I'll work on it. I will work on it. That will be my departing gift to you. Thank you. $40 and a game. 
Awesome. No, many $40 rolled up. Okay. And a game. I don't care. It's not about the money. It's about the process of the game. No, it is about the money because it's really fun to find money. It's about the journey. But I could try to get some weird money. I could try to get some weird coins that then you'd have to go through the process. of. <laughs> no, because then I'm like, I got to go. I got to go deal with this. Like I got to sell it or go to a bank and transfer it. I don't What's the exchange rate? Yes. I was trying to help you. What if I gave you the card of a person who was going to help you do that? Maybe. Does he take a percentage? I don't know. What if I had already worked out the percentage? Wow, you are making this incredibly difficult for me to do this nice thing. I don't really want money. I'm not a huge money person. I would prefer like just really some fun clues in a game. Maybe Ulysses. I'm going to think about a way to make this worth your while. Okay, got it. Put Ulysses with bow around it. I'll take it. You'd be not happy with that. Well, I could do a boat. It might be a dinghy, but it'd be a boat. Or just a toy boat. A rowboat. Sure. There we go. I meant like a little toy boat. Like a mini little boat. Be like, oh, I'll put it on my shelf. I got a boat. I finally got my boat. Oh, that is not a good inheritance, but it might come <laughs> down to that. So I'm not going to knock it. Okay, let's go. Wait, didn't you date somebody who kept like, you? I know who it is. What'd I do? Jesse. Jesse keeps strange money. To mess with people? Yes, he does. To be cool and different. It's not just that he gets it. He orders it from the bank. <laughs> he ordered just stacks on stacks of $2 bills. Just to be different. He claimed it was for tipping. And I said, if you're tipping people $2, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's called a five minimum. I didn't think it was $2 bills. I thought it was something else, like much more rare. It's $2 bills. Oh, it was this thick. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding up my fingers that are more than an inch. It was a lot of $2 bills. Some people think they're lucky. Maybe they're lucky. Give me silver, blue and gold. Color of the sky, I'm told. My rain bow is overdue.